If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm going to open with some good news. The invitation is to all. Come to me, all you. It's not restrictive. But who is the all? It says, to all who are weary and burdened. Here's a little translation of that. Put it up on the screen. Come to me, all you who are wearing yourselves out, or those who have allowed others to place burdens on you. Don't we find ourselves oftentimes in either one of these two situations? On one hand, we find ourselves tired, worn out, unable to sustain this pace. And on the other hand, we're overwhelmed from the expectations that others have placed on our shoulders. So we're left with a feeling crushed. We're left wanting to throw our hands up in the air and saying, I quit, I quit, I can't do this anymore. Or we're willing to settle for a simple coupon. Just give me 15 minutes. However, Jesus is inviting all troubled persons to himself. Come to me, all you who are fatigued, overwhelmed, exhausted, weighed down, experiencing hard times, facing uncertainty, discouraged, frustrated. Come as you are. I will give you rest. How do we find soul rest? We find soul rest by coming to Jesus. The invitation to rest is for all. The only requirement is that for those who come to Jesus need to recognize first their need for help and then be be willing to accept his path for rest. It sounds so simple. Come to me. It sounds like a Sunday school answer that a child would give when asked the question, he would raise his hand and say, Jesus, to every question. They still do that in 12th grade senior highs. Sorry, guys, I had to give you up on that one. Perhaps... That's why Jesus said a few verses earlier, look at verse 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. The childlike faith, what they will see and trust. And for us that think of those words, come to me, and we overthink it, and we just say we can't be worthy. There's too much that I'm carrying There's too much history. And Jesus says, come to me. Here's how Charles Spurgeon, a pastor and theologian of the 19th century, describes what it means to come to Jesus. Spurgeon says, a readiness on the part of Christ to pardon all past offenses. Come to me, says Jesus, You sinners, for however much you may have offended in the past, I am meek 
and easily to be entreated. I am ready to forgive, to forget, and cast behind my back all your provocations. Wow. Coming to Jesus. Jesus is able to forgive and forget our past sins. Here's the question. Are you willing to come? Spurgeon goes on, speaking from Jesus' perspective. I don't say this to coax you. My very heart says it. For my heart is full of tenderness and compassion for you. I have borne much from you and can still bear more. I will be mindful of your infirmities and forgetful of your transgressions. And I will not be so grieved by your rebellions as to cast you out if you come to me. Wow, do you get what that means? Coming to Jesus, his compassion will continue even when our actions fall short. We may think our sins are too great. He will reject us. Jesus promises to forgive, forget our sins. So you ask, why would Jesus, why would this Jesus be willing to do that? Spurgeon continues. Jesus is long-suffering, full of pity, ready to forgive. Like his father, he passes by transgressions, iniquity, and sin because he delights in mercy. Wow. Coming to Jesus as our Savior is not because we have to perform. It's because he delights in mercy to those who come. This invitation to come has no restrictions, no pre-qualifications. It's not based on our ability. It's not based on anything we can bring. It's only a recognition. We can't do it on our own. How do we find soul rest? It sounds so simple. We first, we come to Jesus. Secondly, we put on Jesus' yoke. What does it mean to put on Jesus' yoke? Its meaning is not always self-evident. Last week, I was wishing a friend a belated uh, Happy New Year. Our conversation uh, continued, and he asked me, Philip, what are you doing these days? I told him I was actually preparing for a sermon, and that caught him totally by surprise. And then he asked about the topic. So when I shared with him, what this passage was, his question was, what type of church do you go to? <laughs> I thought that was an interesting question. Um, didn't know where that was going, so I answered it. And so, and you all are normal, don't worry. Um, he said, Philip, when I came to faith, somebody shared this passage with me, and I had a really, really difficult time understanding what it meant to put on Jesus's yoke. I realized that coming to Jesus meant that I wouldn't be automatically successful. I realized I wouldn't be the escape from living in the reality of the day. But I kept asking this question, are you asking me to take off one yoke and put on another yoke? And why does this passage say the yoke is easy and his burden is light 
Because for me, that's not what I found. In fact, it caused me to doubt, which was a great transition for him to, for me to tell him about our past three week sermons of where even John the Baptist doubted. But I appreciated his question. He came to Jesus, but then he really had doubts about this yoke thing, as he called it. So what is a yoke? I think we all know what a yoke is, though we don't really use them anymore. A yoke is a wooden frame. It's placed on the shoulders of an animal to distribute the weight and carry the load. Oftentimes, the stronger animal would be yoked to the younger animal to teach the younger animal how to pull the plow as well as distribute the weight of the load. Years ago, we had several llamas at our farm, and they were trying to be trained how to pull a wagon, you know. That was supposed to be really cool. So we put the older llama with the younger llama. The younger llama says, I don't have to do any work. So as they were training, the older llama did all the work. And the younger llama just said, <laughs> that cart never went straight. But Jesus' purpose was here. Put on my yoke. I'll walk alongside of you. I'll teach you. But it also is interesting. A yoke is an instrument for work. A yoke is an instrument for work. Jesus is inviting people that are worn out by life. And he says, put on my yoke. In other words, you're going to have to go to work. And that's a hard thought to get into our mind. Because we usually think when we're being asked to join for something, hey, what are the perks of joining? Not that, oh, we have to go to work. We're going to have to put on this yoke. Here's what Jesus wants us to understand about this yoke. Being yoked to Jesus is not the absence of trials, traumas, tribulations. Being yoked to Jesus is the guarantee that Jesus will bear those burdens with me. It's why David says in Psalm 23, many of us can recite that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. David doesn't deny there are going to be valleys of life. Yeah, there will be. But the difference for the believer is we have somebody to go through these valleys with us. Psalm 23 continues, For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Being yoked to Jesus is the guarantee that Jesus will bear those burdens with me. Hold up. Verse 30. Verse 30 says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I grabbed that old dictionary and I looked up the definition of easy. And easy says causing or involving little difficulty or discomfort. That's the yoke I want. Isn't that what we'd like to say? I want that easy yoke. I want verse 30 as a promise. I want to put on that Jesus yoke, the easy one that causes little difficulty or discomfort. Here's the spoiler alert. When Jesus was using the word easy, he was talking about a yoke 
So we have to understand easy as in easy to wear. Because whenever two animals were yoked together, they would never just take one size fits all, but instead a carpenter would go out, he would measure the animal, he'd measure the neck, and he would custom make that yoke. He wanted to make sure the yoke wasn't too heavy, it wasn't too tight, it didn't chafe the animal's neck. He tailor-made and custom-made a yoke so that it would be easy, as in easy to wear, that the animal could bear the burden. It's interesting Jesus uses this illustration because we know Jesus was a carpenter. Perhaps he even made a yoke at one time. Coming to Jesus and putting on his yoke means he's custom-made or tailor-made a yoke specifically for us. Let's think what that could mean, being attached to a yoke. A yoke that Jesus made for us. Could we say it this way? Jesus says, I have looked at each of your lives. I have made you intricately. I know you intimately. Trust me. Whatever you're going through, I will not abandon you. My yoke is custom made for you. Yeah, Jesus says, put on my yoke. You will be working, walking, moving forward, carrying what I ask you to carry. At times, even your own cross. Life might be uncomfortable. It might be hard. Sometimes it might be trying. But walk my way. You will find rest. I'm not on pastoral staff and I'm not a pastor, so I can say this. <laughs> Henry's out of town. He's probably just goes, he's off script. This is actually an invitation to prove Jesus wrong. It is. Put on his yoke. Prove him wrong. Take him up on it. Put his yoke on his shoulders. Trust him. Walk forward with him. See if your soul finds rest. Here at Five Oaks, we have a core principle. We believe the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is true. The Bible has promises which we can depend on. When our yoke feels heavy, if you're here at Five Oaks, you're visiting us. We go to the Bible for a source of encouragement, affirmation, for truth. And if the yoke feels too heavy, do we turn to Scripture and do we look at some of these passages? Do we look at Psalm 55:22, where it says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. When the yoke gets heavy, do we claim that? God, is that true? How about 2 Corinthians 4? Therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, 
but what is unseen is eternal. Will Jesus give us that eternal perspective when we're going through something? Can we see the bigger picture? Can we see the hope? Or in 1 Peter, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How often do we go into that where we just said, I can't handle this. Then we say, Jesus says, cast it on me. I, I'm walking alongside of you. Let me carry that load. Here's a favorite of mine that I'm grasping more. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. Then finally, Galatians 6. This is why we meet at small groups and we encourage small groups here at Five Oaks. Carry each other's burdens and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. When you put on Jesus' yoke, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. An observation of that phrase that we see in our Bibles, learn from me. It's an interesting phrase for several reasons. First, the word learn. It's the same Greek root that we get our word disciple from. It's interesting, a disciple is a learner, a learner is a disciple. Also, that word from, apo, the Greek word apo, it could be translated either from me or of me. And I think Matthew chose it specifically for that reason. Because he could say, become a disciple of me and become a disciple from me. Learn who I am. And how I behave. Putting on Jesus' yoke and learn from him. Watch him. Do as he does. Jesus is saying, don't get ahead of me. If you stumble, the burden shifts to me. Remember the purpose of the yoke. How do we find soul rest? We come to Jesus. We accept the grace in forgiving our sins, we receive his unconditional love. Second, we put on Jesus' yoke. We learn from him. We learn of him. That's what becoming a disciple is. And thirdly, we follow the heart of Jesus. Here's some Bible trivia. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... 89 chapters. Our New Testament has 89 chapters that describe the life of Christ and all he's done. In those 89 chapters, there's only one place where it describes the heart of Jesus. And it's here in Matthew 11. What does it mean then for us to follow the heart of Jesus Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. We see that phrase, we hear that phrase, follow your heart, a lot 
in today's culture. We see it in TV. We see it in advertisements. Sometimes when talking to people, we'll hear that. I looked up a few influencers, and I selected a few. Here's what the world will say. There's no path to success. Everyone constructs their own path. The important thing is to follow your heart, find your niche. Here's another one. Your heart and your instincts are far more reliable than your brain. When you follow your heart, you can be sure you won't regret it later. Even if you calculate your every move, it's not like life ever goes according to plan. One more. If you don't follow your heart, you might spend the rest of your life wishing you had. You know, there's some truth in each of those statements. Each statement, though, does express individualism. The meaning of life, follow your dreams, express your emotions. But there's also in all those statements a a sense of resignation, despair, giving up. Some cases even regret. Yet did any of them show us how we could follow the heart and get soul rest? Thaddeus Williams, he's a professor of systematic theology at Biola. He's written a recent book, and it's actually called Don't Follow Your Heart. When he was interviewed uh, for how he chose the title for this book and what was the inspiration, he shares a story about a game he played with his eight-year-old daughter. The game was called Spot the Lie. And what he would do with his daughter is they would watch TV, and if she could spot the lie in a TV commercial, he would give his daughter a dollar. Yeah, you like that, don't you? A dollar. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. One day, She comes running into dad's office and she goes, dad, dad, I can spot the lie. I spotted the lie. He pauses. He goes, what was it? I was watching this show and they told me to follow my heart. She then says, daddy, I know my heart is fallen and I need to follow Jesus's heart. He goes, wow, from an eight-year-old. Isn't that what Jesus said? These things are hidden from the wise and understanding and revealed to the little children. He humorously then said he gave his daughter $5 for that answer. Here's how Dane Ortland, in his book, that's just a classic, and I put it as a resource for people that want to look into this, the heart of Jesus, the heart of God more. Here's how he describes in his book, Gentle and Lowly. The heart in biblical terms is not part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines us and directs us. The heart drives all we do. It is who we are. What Jesus says, my heart is gentle and humble. So is that the center of what drives us? Is that the center of who we are? 
if we're trying to follow this heart of Jesus. I think we have a good understanding of what it means to be gentle. Sometimes we say gentle is also a humble person. So in the NIV text here, it says gentle and humble. And we might say, okay, he just repeated it twice. Gentle, humble. He really wanted us to get that sense across. Other translations, though, pick up the nuance of the Greek. And it says that humble, the second humble here is really lowly. And lowly carries the idea of status. For those that keep in touch in some of the world economics, last week it was the World Economic Forum in Davos. And people's status in how they could participate in certain events was by the color of their badge. They had white badges, orange badges, brown badges, green badges. If you had a white badge, you could get anywhere in the conference. If you had an orange badge, you could only get into certain events if you were walking along with somebody with a white badge. If you had a green badge, it meant no access. You were just a servant. You were cleared by security, but you were just the servant. Sort of humorous, badges being our identity of status. The heart of Jesus is lowly, low status. A green badger, the servant. It's a beautiful picture. The heart of Jesus being gentle and lowly. A gentle heart that's not harsh. A gentle heart that's not reactionary. A gentle heart that's not exasperated. A lowly heart. A heart that came to serve. A heart that's accessible. Servants are accessible. A welcoming heart, an accommodating heart, an understanding heart. I know what to do. I'll meet your need. If I combine those two thoughts, follow your heart, how to have a gentle and lowly heart, maybe you say it this way. The heart of Jesus is a heart that is meek, gentle, humble, welcoming, accommodating, understanding. Is that what it means to follow our heart, to accept the call of Jesus by putting on his yoke and following his heart? How do we put all this together? I'll close with two stories. One is an analogy, totally made up. Another one is a true story. We'll do the the analogy first. We all live in Minnesota here. The land of 10,000 lakes. Let's suppose that I take some friends out on Milax Lake. A sudden storm comes up. It's getting dark. Waves are getting higher. And let's suppose one of my friends on the boat, we'll just call him Troy for namesake. He falls off the boat. Troy is in the water. Waves are coming over Troy. Perhaps Troy's drowning. And then we hear Blair, who's also on the boat. Blair shouts to Troy, 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 I'm throwing you a life jacket. 
put it on. Who would resist that offer? But no, we hear Troy yelling, I'm drowning, Blair. I don't need a life jacket. I can't put anything else on top of me right now. Don't you see? I'm in the middle of a storm. I'm drowning. That would just totally shock us. You understand the analogy. Do we see Jesus' yoke being a burden on us when we're drowning? Or one that was specifically designed for us to prevent us from drowning so we could have fellowship with them? Let's continue with the story. Troy finally realizes he can't save himself from drowning. He receives that offer of a life jacket from Blair. As we're pulling him back, not we, Blair would be pulling him up for sure. As Blair is pulling him out of the water into the boat, what does Troy hope to hear? Does he want to see Blair pointing a finger at him and saying, you're a fool for sitting on the back of a boat when Philip is driving? Or does he want to hear him say, come to me, I have you, I got you, you're safe. As I said, analogies break down. So let me share a true story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor and a theologian during World War II. He was arrested, he was imprisoned by the Gestapo in April of 1943. On April 8th in 1945, roughly two weeks before the United States Cavalry came and liberated that concentration camp, he was hanged. On his way to execution, he said to his companion, this is the end, but for me, it's the beginning of life. Here's an excerpt from his book. Those who let Jesus' yoke rest on them without resistance will find the burden they must bear to be light. In the gentle pressure of this yoke, they will receive the strength to walk the right path without becoming weary. Where will the call the disciple lead those who follow it? What decisions and painful separations will it entail? We must take this question to him who alone knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows where the path will leave. But we know that it will be path full of mercy beyond measure. Discipleship is joy. The likelihood that any of us will ever have to carry the burden or follow the path of Dietrich Bonhoeffer is probably small, yet he serves as an example of one who saw the burden that Jesus had laid on him of not having to do it alone. He saw Jesus directing his path even to the end. He followed that heart of Jesus. How do we find soul rest? Come to Jesus. Put on his yoke. Follow his heart. As we begin our time now of response, we come to Jesus as followers of Jesus, remembering what Jesus has done for us by taking the bread and the cup.
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he, took, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The scripture tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray. Father, it just seems so simple to have that childlike faith that says, just come. And then it seems so daunting when it says, put on my yoke, for it's easy and its burden is light. And Father, we think it's it's impossible for us to follow your heart. And that's why we come and that's why we just, through communion, see your grace, your unconditional love, your willingness to forgive our past, to forget our past, and to say, let's walk together. Follow me. Let me carry that burden for you. Give us that courage to cast our cares, to take you up, to trust you, and to have that childlike faith as we continue our journey this week. Amen.